I think that's a pretty good question in our day and age, don't you? What about Israel? We're going to start a section of the book of Romans, Romans 9 to 11, dealing with that very subject. Now, you know that we skipped from Romans 8 all the way to Romans 12. None of you really caught the significance of that skit, skip. Two things. One, it was a way to start the new year, not with a new year's resolution, but you remember with a new life resolution. But we also did it, some of you may have caught this, because many commentators believe that Romans 9 to 11 was Paul's afterthought, that it was just a sermon that Paul inserted into the letter to the Romans later, or it was inserted by other people later, and that Romans should really go from chapter 8 right to chapter 12. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because what Romans 9 to 11 talks about is Israel. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has, has labeled this kind of a discussion Israelology. In other words, the theology of Israel. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But this morning, I just want to give you a little introduction into these three chapters. First, just a little bit about the time the uh, book of Romans was, was written. The believing community in Rome was predominantly Gentile. The believing community in Rome, some people say, were started by the believers who, after Shavuot, after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, went on back to their homelands and started congregations. I'm not sure about that, because in Acts 2, when it mentions all the people who are there on that Shavuot, Romans are not among them, if you know what I mean. Most likely, the community, the believing community in Rome was started by other communities that Paul planted during his various mission journeys, the first, the second, and the third journey, and they uh, went to Rome and started communities there. I believe this is probably a better um, explanation of it. Now, Rome was founded in 753 B.C., And by the time that Paul writes this, which most commentators say is about 60 uh, A.D., by the time he writes this, Rome is one of the biggest, one of the most prosperous, and one of the strongest cities in all of Asia. And so we begin this morning with our message, What About Israel? Romans 9 through 11. Next slide, please. Now, these three chapters can be talked about in various ways. First of all, chapter 9 can be talked about as Israel's past. In other words, as Israel, as elected by God for certain blessings, elected by God for certain ministry, and most importantly, not forgotten by God. And so we can see Romans chapter 9 as Israel's past. Next chapter. Romans chapter 10 can be seen as Israel's present right on up to today. In other words, it talks in detail about Israel's rejection of God. I'm pausing because I want you to remember with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength what I'm about to tell you. Israel, as a nation, rejected God, but God never rejected Israel. That is the mantra of replacement theology. That is the mantra of supersessionism. 
That is the mantra of the Christian BDS movement, boycott, divest, and sanction. That Israel had its chance, her chance, but God rejected her. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be more anti-biblical than the thought that God would ever reject his chosen people. And so chapter 10 can be seen as Israel's present, Israel as a nation rejecting God. Next slide, please. And Romans 11 can be seen as Israel's future. In other words, the restoration of Israel by God. Because Israel is part and parcel of God's plan to reclaim his kingdom on earth. And that is what Romans 9 to 11 is all about. If you will, Romans is kind of like a corned beef sandwich. What? How many of you like corned beef sandwiches? Okay. Question. What kind of bread do you serve a corned beef sandwich on? If anybody says white bread, I'll kick you out. Rye bread, because Romans is a rye bread kind of book. And what kind of condiment do you eat a corned beef sandwich with? If anybody says yellow mustard, out the door you go. Brown mustard, spicy mustard, Goulden's mustard. But what's the best part about a corned beef sandwich? The bread, the mustard, or the corned beef? That's Romans 9 to 11. And Romans 9 to 11 is the corned beef in the middle of the rye bread <laughs> of Paul's corned beef sandwich. Now you think, what a silly, silly des- you know, description of the book of Romans. Dear ones, you'll never forget it, will you? Dennis Carp got up in front of a congregation and compared Romans 9, 10, and 11 to a corned beef sandwich. And that's exactly what it is. It's the story of Israel. It's the theology of Israel. It's the role of Israel in God's plan of salvation. Next slide, please. Romans can also be seen as God's heart for Israel. Romans chapter 9. God's heart for Israel is a heart of burden. I'm reading from verse 1 of chapter 9. I tell the truth in Messiah... I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. God's burden for Israel is clearly shown in Romans chapter 9, and we'll be spending a lot more time in Romans 9 next week. Next slide, please. God's heart for Israel is also a heart of prayer. Romans 10, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. God's heart for Israel is a heart of prayer. And then next slide, please. God's heart for Israel is also a God of, heart, of hope. And aren't you glad for that? Romans 11 and verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. May it never be. God forgive. God forbid. 
It's a double negative in the Greek, which makes it doubly emphatically no. God has not cast away his people. And again, all of these different understandings and all of these different ideas we will be delving into in a lot more depth in the coming weeks. Next slide. I want to remind you of what the book of Romans is all about. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Romans 1. If you have your cell phone, you can open up your app to Romans 1. Romans 1.1, which is not up on the screen, but leave that up there, please, JC. Paul, a servant of Yeshua HaMashiach, called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel of God, the good news of God. And now we turn to Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. By the way, that's the gospel that I've been separated to, the gospel that I have been told to preach, the gospel that I have been told to preach, the gospel that I live and die with. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. And then he goes on in Romans 1.17 to say, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what you should be asking yourself right now is this. Just what is the righteousness of God? Next slide. Is it his holiness? Yes. Is it his power? Yes. Is it his judgment? Yes. Is it his mercy? Is it everything that is about God? Yes. You see, sometimes we get too boxed in with our understanding of God's righteousness. If you look in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Psalms, and you look up the phrase, the righteousness of God, or God's righteousness, every time you see it, it is always coupled with something else. His righteousness and his power to save. His righteousness and his mercy. His righteousness and his justice. His righteousness and his salvation. Dear ones, the righteousness of God is everything that he is, and it's found in the gospel. And Paul is telling us that the righteousness of God is what he's all about. That the righteousness of God is what he's been separated to. A called apostle to preach the righteousness of God to whoever would listen, because we all need to understand it. Next slide, please. And so Romans can be looked at in this way as well. That Romans chapter 1 to 8 talks about God's righteousness revealed. Some people call it Paul's doctrine. It's not Paul's doctrine. It's Paul's explanation of the Hebraic doctrine of the righteousness of God. That all man needs salvation. That salvation can only come through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. That salvation comes by faith and not by works. 
And it's not just by our faith, but it's also by the faithfulness of the Son to do the will of the Father and the faithfulness of the Father to fulfill his promises to mankind. Faith is another term that we have too small an understanding of. And so Romans 1 through 8 talks about righteousness revealed. Next slide. Romans 9 to 11, and this is where we're going to be spending our time over the next weeks and probably the next couple of months, talks about God's righteousness being vindicated. That's just a long theological term, meaning explained, understood. And it's understood, listen, in terms of Israel. Now, think about it. Why would Paul have to insert this incredible three chapters in the middle of his letter to the Romans if the question of Israel had not been brought up in the Roman believing community? Why would he need to write about it? Why would he even have to address it? I believe the answer is because some of the same same thoughts about Israel that we have now in the body of Messiah may have been occurring in the body in Rome. Questions about, well, is Israel still the apple of God's eye? Is Israel still the chosen one of God? And the answer here, the vindication of God's righteousness, is yes, and this is why. And that's what we're going to be studying over this next couple of weeks and months, answering the question, what about Israel? Next slide, please. For some reason, all my pages are sticking together this morning. And then Romans 12 to 16, the third part of the book, talks about God's righteousness applied. That's what we talked about when we went through Romans 12. To be a servant, to be submitted, to be sober in understanding who you are, to be self-serving, and to act supernaturally because God lives in a supernatural universe. And so Romans 9, 10, and 11, Israel past, present, and future, Israel, God's heart is a burden. God's heart is prayer. God's heart is hope. But also, God's heart as shown through his blessings and use of the nation of Israel. Next slide, please. And so next week, this is what we're going to be looking at. Romans 9, verses 1 to 5. So you have homework. Read Romans 9, 1 to 5, at least five times each day. No, you don't have to do that. But I want you to soak in Paul's burden before we speak about it next week. Because you say that the Lord, you think that the Lord may put um, questions in your heart about what Scripture is saying? He does in mine. Maybe he'll put the same question in my heart that he puts in your heart as I prepare for next week's message. And maybe the message will answer some of your questions, or maybe the message may answer some, may not answer some of your questions, and you'll have to look additionally, or you'll have to talk with me additionally. The point is this. I believe it's not important to just read the Word. I believe it's important to meditate on the Word. And by meditating... It means that we need to think about it, look at it, read it again, think about it some more, and understand exactly what God is saying. And so we're going to be looking at next week God's burden for Israel as shown through, next slide, 
Paul's burden for Israel. When Paul writes that he is so upset, so grieved, and so sorrowful about the condition of his people that he would be willing to give up his own salvation, his burden has to be God's burden because the Spirit of God gave him those words and those emotions. And so we'll be looking about God's burden as shown through Paul's burden to become, next slide, our burden. What good does it do to understand what the Scripture says if you don't react to it? What, does it, what good does it do, and I'm speaking to the men here, to get an instruction manual on how to put something together and not read it? Oh, we all do it. You know that. And you know why we all do it, because our wives tell us we all do it. Why don't you just read the instructions? It's okay, honey. I don't need the instructions. Or how many of us read the instructions and then put it down and try to do it our own way anyway? (laughs) No. If God has a burden for his chosen people, and he relates it through Paul's burden for his own people, shouldn't we have the same burden? And if we do, then the question is, are we acting on it or are we not? Next slide, please. This is the closing line of Romans eleven thirty six. For of him, speaking of God, and through him, speaking of our creator, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. I find it amazing. I find it wonderful. I find it uplifting to understand that at the end of this incredible section of the book of Romans, Paul's choice of words is a salute to his God. That Paul's choice of words is an understanding of who God is. It's even an understanding of our song to God. Wasn't that walk through the Bible amazing this morning when we saw all the songs that were sung at God's provision? Shouldn't we be singing also? And so in closing this morning, I just want to read the last section of Romans 11, and we'll get there in a couple months in a much deeper way. But turn with me to Romans eleven thirty three, Because you see, Israel's restoration in the future is indeed an occasion for glorifying God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. 
Amen. Dear ones, Paul stands in awe of a righteous God. May we stand in awe of him too. Amen. And give you peace. A reminder that everyone is invited to the Onik Shabbat Fellowship downstairs. Also, after the fellowship today are the men's and women's Bible studies. Let's pray for the food before we go down. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei periha gafen, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Hamotzi lechem haaretz, Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, and who brought forth the bread of life from heaven and from the earth to be resurrected and guarantee our resurrected, our resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen. Shabbat shalom.